ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so last week then we had begun the hadith where al-imam al-bukhari says haddathani ishaq qala haddathani abdul samad qala haddathana qala haddathana abdul samad qala haddathana abdul rahman wa huwa ibn abdillah ibn dinar an abihi an abi salih an abi hurairah radiyallahu anhu qala qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam إن الله تبارك وتعالى إذا أحب عبدا نادى جبريل إن الله قد أحب فلانا فأحبه فيحبه جبريل ثم ينادي جبريل في السماء إن الله قد أحب فلانا فأحبه فيحبه أهل السماء ويوضع له القبول في أهل الأرض in this narration where we had seen that the Prophet ﷺ said, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves a servant, then he calls out to Jibreel and says, indeed Allah loves such and such, so love him. So Jibreel loves him. Then Jibreel calls out to the inhabitants of the heavens, Indeed Allah loves such and such, so love him. So the inhabitants of the heavens love him. And then he is given acceptance amongst the people of the earth. So we had come up to some of the issues in relation to this hadith. The actual point regarding Allah calling out to Jibreel was an affirmation of the speech of Allah and that it is with a voice that is heard. And then there are some benefits from the narration. The Shaykh, Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen Rahimahullah Ta'ala says, هَلْ هُنَاكَ طَرِيقٌ يَصِلُ بِهَا الْإِنسَانِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يُحِبَّهُ اللَّهِ Is there a way? For a person to become beloved to Allah. What is it that a person can do so that Allah loves him? Is there a way to that? The Shaykh says, Naam, yes, of course. And that is mentioned in the Quran. Qul in kuntum that say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me, and Allah will love you. فَالطَّرِيقُ إِلَىٰ كَوْنِ اللَّهِ يُحِبُّ الْعَبْدِ So, the methodology, the, the pathway, the route to Allah loving you, is أَنْ يَتَّبِعَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ That you follow the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You follow the sunnah, you practice the sunnah, then that is the means 
to you becoming beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa kullama kana al-insanu atba' لِرَسُولِ كَانَ أَحَبَّ إِلَى And the more a person follows the sunnah, follows the Prophet wasallam, the more a person is obedient in that way, then the more Allah loves that servant. وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ الْحُكَمْ إِذَا عُلِّقَ بِعِلَّهِ and that is because if a ruling is attached to a reasoning, the more that reasoning increases, the more you do of that reason, then the more of the impact occurs from it. The reasoning here or the method here to achieve the love of Allah is to follow the sunnah. So the more you do of that, then the more Allah loves that person. And similarly, the less you follow the sunnah, the less beloved you become to Allah. وَالْحُكْمُ هُنَا حُبُّ اللَّهِ لِلْعَبْدِ وَقَدْ عَلَّقَ بِعُلِّقَ بِاتِّبَاعِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And here then, having the love of Allah, it is associated to the following of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Shaykh says, إِذَا أَرَدْتَ if you want Allah to love you, then فَاتَّبِعْ الرَّسُولَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ ظَاهِرًا وَبَاطِنًا Then follow the Prophet وسلم, openly, inwardly, concealed, publicly, in all of your affairs. Not just openly and outwardly and not inwardly, but inwardly and outwardly that you follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That is the sign of your true love for Allah and the Messenger. And that is what brings about the love of Allah for a servant. Then the Shaykh says, Limada قَدْ يَكُونُ هُنَاكَ مَنْ يَتَّصِفُ بِالْخَيْرِ وَالصَّلَاحِ Sheikh says, why is it that there may be people who are characterized by goodness and righteousness? There are people who are pious and good and righteous. وَلَا يَكُونُ لَهُ قَبُولٌ عِنْدَ النَّاسِ But they don't have acceptability with the people. Because you remember in the narration it mentioned that in the end of it, that person whom Allah loves and then tells Jibreel and Jibreel tells the inhabitants of the heavens and they all love that person, that the person is then given acceptability amongst the people. The people return to him and take from him 
and accept from him. But how come sometimes a person may be pious and righteous and obedient and have the characteristics of following the sunnah, etc. Yet he does not have acceptability from the people. The Shaykh says, Inna sabab wujida. The cause is there. What is it that causes or brings about acceptability upon the earth from the people? That you be a person of the sunnah, that you be following the sunnah, following the Qur'an, so Allah loves you and the inhabitants of the heavens love you. So all of that is there. However, هُنَاكَ مَوَانِعَ There may be certain preventative factors. The basic reasoning is there. And so therefore you should technically have acceptability amongst the people, but you don't because there may be other factors involved that are creating that lack of acceptability or preventing that acceptability amongst the people. وَقَدْ يَكُونُ الْقَبُولَ الَّذِي يُوضَعُ فِي الْأَرْضِ لِلْإِنسَانِ أَنَّ الْإِنسَانِ يَكُونُ عِنْدَهُ دَعْوَةَ لِلْخَيْرِ فَتُقْبَلُ دَعْوَتُهُ فَيَكُونُ مَعْنَى الْقَبُولِ أي إذا كان هذا الإنسان داعياً إلى الله عز وجل وإلى سبيل الله قبل The reasoning may be there, but there could be some factors preventing it occurring. And sometimes the acceptability which is placed upon the earth amongst the people for him is that a person gives da'wah. A person may be giving da'wah to goodness, and so his da'wah is accepted. So the meaning of acceptability in that context is that if this person is a da'i to the path of Allah and he is accepted, his da'wah is accepted, that is acceptance. But then the shaykh, he goes on to say, what are the preventative factors then that may prevent a person gaining that acceptability? إِمَّا أَنْ يَكُونَ هُنَاكَ مَوَانِعْ مَا نَعْلَمُهَا There could be some reasons that we're not aware of. There could be some reasons that we are not aware of. وَإِمَّا أَنْ يَكُونَ الْمُرَادُ يُوضَعُ لَهُ الْقَبُولِ أي إِذَا دَعَا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَإِلَى مَحَبَّةِ اللَّهِ قَبِلَهُ النَّاسِ وَوَافَقُوهُ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُ Or maybe acceptability, it simply just means that when a person gives da'wah, calling to Allah and to the love of Allah, that the people accept this da'wah from him. That is the acceptability they are in agreement with what he's calling to, that is acceptability. So there the Shaykh perhaps is highlighting acceptability amongst the people. 
it is the meaning of your da'wah being accepted. That your da'wah and your call to righteousness is accepted by the people. That is the meaning of acceptability. And it may not be more than that as a person may interpret. But it's simply that your da'wah is accepted by the people. That is you now being accepted by the people. Then there's another point to be mentioned here now. There are many people out there because this topic now in a way can lead on to a confusion. There are many people out there, many so-called scholars, many so-called du'at, many so-called ustad, ustad this and ustad that, Many out there give themselves these titles, give themselves the title. And as the scholars, they used to say, if you need to give yourself the title, then quite clearly you are not deserving of the title. If you need to highlight to the people that I am a student of knowledge, I'm a student of knowledge. What am I? Student of knowledge. If you need to highlight that to the people, then clearly you're not a student of knowledge. If the people haven't recognized that about you, you need to spell that out for them. Listen, I'm a student of knowledge. Then clearly you're not deserving of that title. They say it in the context of a scholar, a scholar who needs to highlight and tell the people that he is a scholar, then clearly he's not a scholar. So here you get many people out there calling themselves Ustav, calling themselves Sheikh, calling themselves Mufti, everything. On YouTube, on social media, all over the place. And some of them may have hundreds and thousands of followers. Some of them may have millions of followers. Some of them known worldwide amongst the people all over the place. TV channels and everything going on. Tours. Um, cruisers. Even cruisers. You know, we're masakin. We come here, we sit down in Manchester giving classes, freezing outside zero degrees. Some of these great sheikhs these days, they go on da'wah cruisers. You know, the cruise ships. This isn't made up, this isn't a joke I'm making. This is reality. Some of them go on da'wah cruisers. So they sell the tickets, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, come and join such and such ustav, this guy, that guy. Come and join such and such mufti. Come and join such and such sheikh on an inspiring seven-day cruise now too. MashaAllah. So, people have followers. The point here the sheikh is making, does that mean that all of these individuals out there are in this category, in this hadith, they've been given acceptability upon the land amongst the people? 
because quite clearly they have hundreds of uh, thousands of followers maybe into the million plus followers known worldwide wherever you go TV channels all sorts they have acceptability amongst the people do they fall into this category or not the sheikh says in kana ba'du idha kana ba'du ahl al-'ilm wal fadl asbaha yusma'u kalamahum yasma'u al-qa- kalamahum al-qasi wad-dani fahal najzim bi anna ha'ula'i wudi'a lahum al-qabul fi al-ard the sheikh says naqul inna hadha الأثر لا يعني أن القبول ينحصر في هذا لكنه يعني أنه إذا حصلت المحبة حصل القبول ولا يلزم من ذلك أن يكون العكس بالعكس فقد يكون هناك قبول ولكنه وجد امتحانا من الله عز وجل لهذا الشخص لأن الله تعالى أحبه فالحديث يدل على أنه متى وجدت محبة الله وجد القبول والدليل لا ينعكس يعني لا يقال العكس بالعكس فلذلك لا نجزم بأن هذا الرجل الذي وضع له القبول في الأرض محبوب عند الله عز وجل لكنه لا شك أنه قرينة ولا سيما إذا علم من هذا الرجل الصلاح والاستقامة ووجدت أسباب توجب محبة الله بكونه متبعا للرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم فلا شك أن هذا دليل على أن الله يحبه So we said in the narration that if Allah loves a man loves a servant of his he calls out to Jibreel that he loves such and such so love him so Jibreel loves him then Jibreel calls out to the inhabitants of the heavens that Allah loves such and such, so love him, so they all love him. And then after that, Allah gives that person acceptability amongst the people on the earth. So that acceptability has come as a consequence of Allah loving that person. Allah loves a person, He gives that person acceptability on the earth. So if Allah loves a person, then He has acceptability upon the earth but the other way around does it work if we see somebody who has acceptability upon the earth then we can reverse it and say therefore he must have the love of Allah that's why he's got the acceptability it does not mean that it does not mean that because gaining acceptability upon the earth there are different reasons that can lead to that. One of them is that if Allah loves a servant, He gives him acceptability upon the earth. But there are other reasons why a person may be given acceptability upon the earth too. So just because you see somebody with acceptability, meaning the people they all accept him and return to him and he's known as the sheikh and whatever else and millions of followers and everything it doesn't necessitate that this must be due to Allah loving him because it could actually be some other reason why he's been given acceptability on the earth what other reason it could be a test upon that person 
He has been given all of that upon this earth as a test upon him. And it may not be the case that he is a stringent follower of the sunnah and that he is from those whom Allah loves. It may not be the case necessarily for a given individual. It could be a test and a trial upon him. So now when you see, for example, a person having a million followers on his social media, and then he is a person who promotes the celebrating of the birthday of the Prophet promotes going around the graves and doing tawaf upon them, yet he's got a million followers, he's on TV channels, he's on everything. He's got acceptability upon the earth, has he not? Million followers, million followers on his social media. We have barely a few thousand here. So has he not got acceptability? Certainly not. How can it be? A man calling to bid'ah, calling to innovation, calling to misguidance, calling to perhaps even shirk in the aqaid, then that person, his acceptability which has occurred to whatever degree it has occurred, whatever hundreds and thousands or millions of followers he has, that is not a sign of him being beloved to Allah. He has that acceptability as a trial upon him now. Perhaps that is the reason for it. A trial upon him that he has all of these people. And we've seen that in the narrations. Whomsoever calls to an evil, whomsoever calls to an evil or brings about an evil, then upon him is the sin and the sin of all of those who follow him upon that evil. So perhaps this is a test and a trial. So nobody can come along and say now that our Shaykh, he has a million subscribers on YouTube. Our Shaykh has a million followers on Twitter. You've just mentioned in your hadith about acceptability upon the earth. So our Shaykh certainly must be somebody Allah loves. Therefore, he must be upon the truth and he must be upon the sunnah. Look at how much his followers are. Surely that is acceptability, a million followers. You say, no, that is not the sign. You cannot reverse it. You cannot say just because he's got acceptability, it must mean it's because Allah loves him. There are other reasons, tests and trials upon a person that he's been given acceptability. But it only works this concept from the original way that we mentioned. If Allah loves somebody, then he will give him acceptability. But just because somebody's got acceptability doesn't mean it's because Allah loves him. Because there are other reasons why you can gain or why you may be given acceptability too. So the people of innovation, the people of misguidance, we do not say they have so many followers, they must have been given acceptability then. They must be people Allah loves then. Not necessarily and we don't say that. People of innovation, people of misguidance, those calling to haram, to shirk, to bid'ah, then certainly they do not fall into this category. Then, the people of innovation as we've seen throughout this book as we've been working through it, 
they reject the names and attributes of Allah. And similarly, they reject the attribute of Allah that Allah loves His servants. They reject that. They reject that Allah loves His servants. And so their interpretation regarding the love of Allah, they say, no, it doesn't mean that Allah loves a person. All of those narrations talking about Allah loving someone, they mean that Allah will reward that person, give the thawab to that person. That's all it means. When it says Allah loves somebody, i.e. Allah's going to reward that person. Not that Allah loves that person. So then we go back to all of the original explanations that we gave. A man comes along to you now and says, you guys, you are talking about Allah loving a man who follows the Quran and the Sunnah, loving one of his servants who follows the Quran and the Sunnah. Allah doesn't love his servants. All that means is that Allah is going to reward that person. A person is following the Quran and the Sunnah. Allah is going to reward him, of course. That's what it means. So what are you going to say? Now that we're three quarters of the way through the book. That's one, correct, one line of explanation whenever they misinterpret names and attributes is that you always bring it back to the default and original meaning as a starter. The starting point is the default in the original meaning. Mahabbatullah, Allah loves him and tells Jibreel, Ahibbahu, love him. And then Jibreel tells all of the angels, love him, love someone. What's the default meaning of loving? Everybody knows love, love and loving. Everybody knows the default and original meaning of love and loving. That's the default. In order to deviate away from the default, you have to bring us the evidence. Just like that simple example we gave, the word lion, when you say that Khalid is a lion. Khalid, mashaAllah, that brother's a lion. Lion. So now in that case, what does it mean? Has he got hair? Has he got a mane, big teeth, lives in the jungle? Khalid isn't like that. What does he look like? A normal human. So why am I calling him a lion then? So here, there is reasoning, context, justification. Everything blatantly is there to indicate and to explain that the meaning is a secondary meaning. But when you don't have any justification, in there now I've said, that brother Khalid, MashaAllah, he's a lion. That brother, we were with him yesterday, he told us about the things that he did. MashaAllah, that brother's a lion. In the context of those few comments there, a couple of lines, straight away you know, 
I'm talking about a human being. So the word lion is being used away from its default, the animal, into another meaning. Clear there. But when it's not, I say, yesterday I saw a lion. That's it. I say to you, yesterday I saw a lion. So now what do you understand from that? If I said to you, I saw a lion yesterday, what would you think in your mind? Ustaz went to the zoo? Subhanallah. Which zoo? The scholars, they used to say it is from the Khawarim al-Muru'ah. There was a, 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 a student with us in the University of Medina. There was a student there from the subcontinent. True story. He said he got married and he took his wife one day for a picnic and a, an outing to the zoo. Went out, a big like safari park, you know, in those subcontinental countries, not like the zoos here. Big open field, open space, parks, everything like a safari. Went around walking there, there's some lions, there's some elephants. He said, but it's called a zoo. He said, I took my wife there. Newly married, go out for a picnic out in the sun, go for a walk. A stroll, you know, those who are newly married, you remember those things now. So, he did that. He said, after that, my grandfather, since that day, has not spoken to me. My grandfather, since that day, he makes face when he sees me now. So, what, the zoo, you went to with your wife to the zoo, walking around, Talib al-ilm, you're a student of knowledge. And there is a point to be made as well, zoos, with animals being kept in that way, it's not legitimate. It's not a good thing. It's not in accordance to the, to the, the boundaries of Islam. To keep animals locked up like that. To keep them out of their natural habitat like that. And that's why when it comes down to the rulings of pets, it's the same thing. Scholars have said you cannot keep pets that you are going to oppress, basically. Keeping a rabbit in a small one meter, even two meter size cage thing, oppression upon the rabbit. Where do rabbits live out in the wild in two meter boxes? That's oppression upon the rabbits, upon the animals. It's a dhulm. Even if you let it out in your garden here and there, then you put it back into that cage. It's not. Unless you can provide a proper habitat and environment, then you cannot keep these pets in cages. That is oppression upon them. Oppression keeping them in cages. So that's why it wouldn't be permissible to have these types of pets that you have locked up in cages. You are oppressing them. Fish, I think it was a Sheikh Al-Fawzan maybe, or one of the scholars, I think a Sheikh Al-Fawzan, they asked him about like fish and goldfish and things. You have a tank. The Sheikh said, one of the scholars anyway, said that's okay. Because a few fish, they swim around in that tank and it's the equivalent of swimming around in a big place. They can swim to this side, to that side, they are swimming. They are swimming around in that tank as long as it's a reasonable sized tank. And that is fulfilling their rights. For a fish to swim about up and down and you get all those bits and bobs you put in your tanks. They can do all that everywhere. The fish can swim about. It's fulfilling the rights of the fish. There's no oppression upon the fish. Whether it swims about in a one meter space or it goes in a straight line for a mile in the ocean, it is swimming and swimming. It's the same thing. It doesn't make an oppression upon it. But a rabbit, one meter cage, it can't run like it would run in the wild or other, uh, uh, whatever these hamsters, gerbils, whatever they are, they can't run around like they would properly. 
and then they put that spinning thing and that's going to be the equivalent of it. That's why the scholars say it's oppression. It's oppression upon animals to keep them locked up like that. So where you can do it without oppressing an animal, then okay. You can have these pets and things, but where it's going to be oppression like that, cages and things and locked up, you don't have a huge field of a garden at the back, then you can't keep these animals locked up in cages like that. It's oppression upon them. So anyway, back to the point. I say yesterday I saw a lion. You're going to understand just from that sentence, yesterday I saw a lion. The default meaning of that is the animal. The animal is the default meaning. For somebody to say that no, he means Khalid. I say to you yesterday, I was in the, the jungle and I saw a lion. The default of that is clearly the animal. Nobody's going to say the default of that is Khalid. Because what in the context of my speech deviates away the default into the secondary meaning of Khalid there? When I say I was in a jungle yesterday and I saw a lion. Nothing there to deviate away from the default. Whereas in my earlier statement yesterday I was sat with the brother Khalid and he was talking to me and he said this and that. He's a lion, mashallah. Everything there in the context telling you it's a human I'm talking about, so yes. But in this one, I was in the jungle and I saw a lion. If somebody says, no, no, he's talking about Khalid, that brother. How can you make that claim there? What is your evidence for that interpretation there? What is it? Nothing. It's impossible. You cannot make that interpretation there. You have to leave it upon the default. You have to leave it upon the default. I saw a lion in the jungle. It's the animal. Nobody's going to say he means a person who's courageous. So, in the first instance, any person who wants to misinterpret the names and attributes, you tell them the default of this name and attribute is such and such. That's the default of it, whether you like it or not. Love, the default meaning of that isn't rewarding somebody. The default meaning of that is the, the love, as we know love. If you want to say it means reward, then it's upon you to prove why that interpretation is correct. Then on top of that, when you start going into details, you can break down their interpretations because their interpretations are false. So you can say to them, okay, in that case, you're telling me Allah says to Jibreel, reward him, basically. And then Jibreel says to all the angels, reward him. That's basically what you're saying the hadith means then. Allah says to Jibreel, reward him. Jibreel tells all the angels, reward him. And then in the hadith, it says, فَأَحَبُّوهُ so, uh, so they love him. In his interpretation, it means all the angels go and reward him. Reward is not from the angels. Reward is only from Allah. So when it goes down to the details, all these interpretations of theirs are broken down and they are false. One of the reasons why the people of innovation said, no, Allah doesn't love. Remember, one of their key principles was their intellect takes priority over the texts. So if something comes in a hadith or in the Quran somewhere, if their mind can't work it out, then which one wins? 
the ayah, the hadith, or whatever their mind can work out. Whatever their mind can work out. So now, here with the love, Allah loving His servants, they said, loving only occurs between equals. A human loves a human. Love between the same level. A human loving a human. But how can there be love between the Creator and the creation? Two different levels altogether. We're on the same level. All humans, we love each other. Love human to a human. But how can you transgress beyond that level and those boundaries to the Creator and the creation? How can love go like that? They say, that can't work. So now their mind can't work out how that could work. How could that love occur from the Creator to us, the creation? We can love each other, yes. But the Creator to us, how is that going to work? That can't be possible. So in their minds, they can't work that out. Their minds can't process that. And so therefore, they have to make some interpretation up that their minds can process. So therefore, their interpretation is that all of these narrations just mean Allah is going to reward those people. That makes sense. That's okay. Allah's going to reward everybody. So that is what they do there. And again, it is incorrect and false. As Shaykh Al-Thaymini says, their claim that love can only occur between peers, can only occur between the same level, human to human, it can only be like that, is a false claim of this. It can go beyond the same species or same level. It can. And there is an evidence in the Sunnah proving it too. There is an evidence in the Sunnah proving it too. And that is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ regarding Mount Uhud, which is a mountain, not a human, not our species. It's a mountain, an inanimate object as we see it. And the Prophet ﷺ said about it, إِنَّهُ يُحِبُّنَا وَنُحِبُّهُ It loves us. And we love it. Love of humans outside of our race to the mountain, an inanimate object. And the mountain loves us. It loves us and we love it. فَإِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ بِلَا شَكٍّ يُحِبُّ بَعْضَ أَمْوَالِهِ أَكْثَرَ مِمَعَوْ A person no doubt may love some aspects of what he owns more then other aspects of what he has and owns from his wealth. And he may love some of his animals more than he loves others, his cattle and livestock. And he may love certain cars more than others. He may have a greater preference 
for a certain cause more than others. So their claim that love can only occur within the species, within that level, and it cannot transgress beyond that, is an incorrect claim. The evidence of Uhud is a clear statement in the Sunnah regarding it, and the evidence in real life that a human may love his wealth, some parts of it more than others, may love his, ca- uh, his uh, uh, livestock, some of it more than others, uh, his cars, some of them more than others. So certainly that is something that can go beyond. So it is a refutation of multiple forms against those who try to misinterpret. You see now, reminds me of what you see from the people, from the kuffar, how they love their animals, they love dogs to the level that they'll eat ice cream and share it with the dog. The dog licks it and then they lick it. But more than that, more than that now, you know the law now in the country, I don't know if it's a, a, it's a, it's a law, I think everywhere, UK-wide, that if you're walking your dog and your dog needs to relieve itself, needs to answer the call of nature, it's illegal to leave that there on the street, what the dog has done when the dog has gone to the toilet. You can't just leave it on the street. The owner, by law, as far as I'm aware now, has to remove that and get rid of it. So some of them maybe have some degree of hygiene, use these poles like a stick, and it's got a mechanical hand at the end, you push the whatever and it picks it up, and then you put it in the bag. But others put a plastic bag on your hand, a plastic, you know, like a plastic glove, plastic bag, you put that on your hand, you get down and you pick it up. Pick it up. Get down there. And maybe you drop it and you pick it up again. And that isn't a joke. That's something I saw as I was driving past on my car. You see, this is the level. This is the level. You're going to pick up the waist of your dog with a little plastic bag on your hand. And you're going to have to scrape it up and everything. And, that's the le- and then you're going to put it in your bag and you're going to carry it. You're going to carry it with you where you go until the next bin or whatever it is. So, there is certainly love that goes outside of the species. There is certainly love in real life that you see from the people going beyond the bounds. So, that is uh, the hadith up to there. Um, Today we're rounding off slightly earlier. We'll leave it on that point for, uh, for today. Uh, next week is off next week I won't be here in two weeks time inshallah ta'ala this class will carry on in two weeks time inshallah ta'ala was there any homework or anything before this what was it the what oh the flag oh yes the homework about the flag then who's got the answer hands up there was a hadith about how they were going to battle Uh, It was the hadith about how Allah loves His servants. 
The Prophet ﷺ told the army, tomorrow I'm going to give the flag of the army to a man who loves Allah and the Messenger, and Allah and the Messenger love him. So then all of the companions that night, they were hoping it would be them because they wanted to be the one who Allah and the Messenger loved. Umar ibn al-Khattab said, I'd never ever wanted authority or leadership ever in my life. But that night, I wanted the flag too. Just because, not for leadership or authority, to have the testimony of the Messenger that Allah and the Messenger love him. So hands up if you know the answer. All right, we'll ask everybody over there, shout it out loud. Ali ibn Abi Talib, over there. What's your answer? Junaid, go on. Ali? All right. Ali? 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 Huh? Nobody want to say anything else? So there is Ijma' of everybody under the age of 10 that it is Ali radiallahu anhu and that is correct. The flag of the army on that time was given to Ali because the next day the Prophet said, Aina Ali, where is Ali? They said, what did they say when the Prophet was looking for Ali? Ah, they said to the Prophet Ali ibn Abi Talib, has got a problem with his eye. He had some infection or something with his eye. Actually, that story, what happened was when they went out to the battle, Ali ibn Abi Talib, because of this infection, was left behind originally. He was told to look after home, look after the affairs there, stay back. But he couldn't help himself. The Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, they've all gone out to jihad. He couldn't stop. And afterwards, he went and caught up with them. So then they said he's got this problem with his eye. The Prophet said, bring him. So when they brought him, what did the Prophet do? So he put a little bit of spittle into the eye of Ali ibn Abi Talib. And then it mentions in the narration, that he was cured like he never had any problem in the eye in the first place. And then they say from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, Ali ibn Abi Talib never ever got any issue with his eyes ever again for the rest of his life. From the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ. So that was Ali ibn Abi Talib. What's going to be the homework for this week since there's two weeks? I don't know. Two weeks holidays? Halas, <laughs> in that case, two weeks holidays. Uh, revise everything, make sure you keep revising it, the evidences, and inshallah ta'ala then we'll carry on in two weeks' time.